Hello, Charleston basketball fans. Welcome to the Holy City Hoops podcast here to wrap up the regular season. We're going to hold off on doing a full postmortem on the season until it officially ends, but I think this is a good time to remind ourselves about how special of a season this has been. 28 wins, 20 straight, a month in the AP Top 25, now a regular season co-championship with Hofstra. Properly understated, if you ask me, by the way. I'm glad there was minimal celebrating with the trophy on Saturday. Hofstra hoisted one of their own, and honestly probably have more of a claim to that based on the fact that they beat us head-to-head and have the number one overall seed for the CAA tournament. So I was pleased to see the Cougs appreciate it for a moment, but no net cutting, no banner raising, because there is business ahead. Today, we bring in good friend of the program, Harrison Bown. This is a longer episode today. We talk about both the Towson and Stony Brook games. We do a lengthy NCAA tournament bubble rage therapy session, I guess you could call it, vent session, something like that, uh, and a little bit of a CAA tournament preview, more so previewing Charleston's path in the bracket. Uh, I'll do a full-on preview maybe with some of the other CAA podcasters later this week. But plenty to get to. Thanks for rocking with us all regular season. The most beloved postseason in American sports, March Madness, is a few days away. So excited. Can't wait to see everybody in D.C. Let's get into today's episode. Charleston fans, you know him, you love him. Harrison Bound is back on the podcast. Harrison, how you doing, man? Doing great, Tommy. Thanks for having me as always. Looking forward to uh, recapping the last week of Cougar Hoops. It's been a fun week. Two games, two big wins, two nationally televised home games, which you don't hate. How are you feeling just generally now that the regular season is behind us? Uh, I, I feel great. I mean, obviously, this was an unbelievable uh, season and, and one that's been awesome for all of us as fans. But to have the, the week that we had, I feel like we couldn't have played any better the last two games. And so looking at those two games and, and moving forward into the tournament next weekend, I, I'm pretty uh, pretty excited to see what's coming. I think we're playing our, our best basketball at the right time, which is exciting and all you can ask for. That's what you want to see. Uh, where do you want to start? You want to start with Stony Brook or with Towson? Let's, uh, let's start Stony Brook and work our way back since that was a kind of a, a quick and uh, quick quick uh, quick game there where we got up big. This one was never really in doubt. Uh, final score: Charleston ninety-two, Stony Brook fifty-two. That's a forty-point win if my math is right. Senior day, which is always fun. I think we've had you on before to talk about you know what it's like playing on senior day and if there's any extra pressure or weirdness, you know, with like the pregame festivities and all that team showed no signs of, you know, skipping a beat. Um, I thought everybody looked like they were ready to go from the jump. And really besides like a slight edge early when Policelli scored like 11 of Stony Brook's 13 points, this one was never in doubt. I thought they brought the energy. I thought they were getting open shots early and then, Later in the game, those shots started hitting, and we just kind of buried Stony Brook. Yeah, I agree. You could kind of tell from the tip that we were obviously a much better team, but also kind of just felt like, you know, right from the jump that we had total control of that game. Like you said, you knew that we were getting good shots, and at some point they were going to start falling. And and so we, we really had control of that entire game. Like you said, went back and forth a little bit in the first half. Made it, they had a couple, you know, good post touches and stuff for them, but then um, – you know, Ben Burnham, I guess, decided he wanted to steal the show from the seniors. Uh, he had a pretty 
electric couple possessions there that that I felt like really extended the lead out. But yeah, I mean, this was it was night and day the the two teams on the floor, and um, I mean that was just a fun that was a fun senior night to have. I wish my senior night would have been like that. Obviously, we <laughs> had to play UNCW, so it's a little different of a game. Um, when I was there, but that's the, that's the kind of senior night you want. Everybody's getting to play, uh, cleared the bench, got a great three at the end from one of the walk-ons. Um, it felt like we went through like a, a five minute stretch in the second half where we just couldn't miss, which was fun. Um, yeah. so even though those seniors hadn't been in Charleston that long, it was awesome to be able to send them out with a big win the crowd, obviously giving them a, a standing ovation was awesome. And then to obviously clinch a share of, the conference championship. I think that's about as uh, great of a senior night as you can have right there. It was the seniors being recognized, but really the sophomore class showed out in this game. So between Ben, Rain, Raekwon, who we should get to, Baba, and Ante, they had 65 of Charleston's points. Uh, the seniors, Dalton, Ryan, Pat, and Jalen had 22. So not just Benny Buckets, getting his Kenny Burnham going, but Rain had a great game. Raekwon had a great game. I mean, Ben, Ben was on fire from the moment he checked in. And this, I think the Towson game was broke his streak of double figure scoring that had gone back like six or seven games, but he checks in. He has two Kenny Burnham dunks in a matter of minutes. And then we've seen he's, there's no debating this anymore. He's Charleston's best outside threat shooting. Then he got it going from deep in the second half and he scores it career high 25 points yeah so happy to see that for ben especially having one sort of off game against towson and then coming back in a big way right when we need him to because we're going to need him for the tournament yeah it just feels like he's always making big plays for us whether it's a a steal or a dunk or like you said a pivotal three like it, it it just feels like he's always making something happen when he's on the floor and playing with energy and it feels like he kind of I know he's not like an elite defender per se, but it feels like he makes things happen on both ends that lead to the other end. You know, it feels like I'm always watching him get a big steal that leads to a dunk or a block to a dunk, or he'll hit a big three and then we come down and get a stop. And so even though we didn't necessarily, you know, have to have those giant swings in yesterday's game because we were winning by so much, it's always great to have a guy like that that comes off the bench and just is immediately a contributor. And like you said, I think it's going to be a, a huge key to our success in D.C. this next week. Yep, he was awesome. And then Raekwon Horton. I mean, good to see him bust out of his slump. Um, he's still, you know, I talked about this in the podcast last week. He still has some bad offensive charge calls against him where he's kind of out of control. But he was four or five from deep and in this game. And we saw last year he looked like Charleston's best player in the two games they played in D.C., finished the year with a double-double against UNCW. So maybe we're starting to see Mr. March emerge from Raekwon Horton. He's had his ups and downs lately, but uh, really encouraging, I thought, performance from him in this one. Yeah, you know, I think we talked about it early in the year about, you know, what we thought he would bring the team and the role that he would play. And it's not that he's played poorly. I just think that we all expected maybe a little bit more of a step similar to what we saw yesterday. And I agree with you. I mean, if he's, if he's becoming Mr. March and is – going four, five for three and getting a couple boards and gives us, you know, anywhere from eight to 10 points off the bench. Um, that's just another huge, you know, part of our success. I mean, if you can, if you can bring two guys off your bench that can go get you double figures, both can shoot the ball, both have pretty good size and length and pretty you know decent defenders. I mean, that's not only a tough, tough ask for the other team, you know, to match up with, in the conference tournament, but also looking ahead to a potential NCAA matchup. I mean, 
nobody wants to see two guys at six, seven, six, eight coming off the bench that can score and run and dunk. And so the, the more he gets going is just a, a key part for, for our chances of March, but it's also great to see him get going because he's obviously going to have to have a, a huge role next year with, with the seniors leaving. So um, I was really happy to see him kind of break out of that slump and I'm with you. I, I feel like it's, maybe he's starting to get his rhythm and, and kind of get into that role that we, we saw and thought he would kind of move into at the end of last year. You probably didn't watch the CBS sports broadcast, but one of the cool things I thought they had a nice feature on Dalton Bolin at halftime. And obviously you get like Seth Davis and Greg Gumbel and that whole NCAA tournament crew talking about the game. You get John Fanta calling it. Who's done probably a, dozen or so CAA games at this point. I think he's done three or four College of Charleston games. I think that stuff is valuable. Like, I know we've already belabored the media deal points, like, into the ground, but I think there is some value in that kind of stuff going on. And then if Charleston does hopefully make it to the NCAA tournament, at least that crew, that CBS crew, has some familiarity with, like, the storylines and the style of play. So I just wanted to point that out. I thought that was a, a nice little perk. I, I know we all like to crap on CBS Sports, but it is nice to to have them solely focused on our game and not like ESPN where it's kind of bouncing around coverage uh, across their networks. No, I agree. And I think a lot of the the bashing that people have is more of the flow side of it. You know, I, I feel like sure. if we if we had the A10 type deal, you know, where it's like every game is on CBS and you could do it from the CBS Sports app, I, I just think it'd be fans would be happier we'd be happier in general i mean I, when i was in school it was um we had some games on on cbs but we also had the big nbc sports deal at the time mm-hmm. um and that was always nice because similar to what you're saying you know for us as players at the time we got a couple games on tv and a national spotlight but also there was a couple times where we'd be traveling back from somewhere on a saturday and they would have like that featured you know like noon tip off sunday game and like you mentioned you you get the main crew you get the main guys solely focused on your game and it was always cool even though it was a conference opponent it was always kind of cool to see that and see these big time announcers you know and these guys are very well known talking about you know the william and mary's and uncw's and towson's that we are used to to playing and, and have to go up against. And so I totally agree with you. I think that's a, a great part and it's been awesome to have the success we've had to be able to warrant those games. And I think, um, I think it just builds into the next couple of years. If we can kind of sustain the success and keep building on it, it allows you to, to get your name and, and program out there even more, which is, you know, ultimately I think half the battle in, in building a, a powerhouse mid-major. Last thing I've got from this one, you know, we, we focus a lot on the offense. The defense held Stony Brook to 52 points, which ain't nothing. Um, I think that's you know, the lowest of the year, right, against CFC? That, that feels like a season low, yeah. So um, you talk about clicking at the right time. It's not just the shots falling, but I thought the defense was really good in this one. Yeah, I mean, I, I was looking at their stats before we hopped on. I think they shot like 30% from the field. So, I mean, any time you can hold a team to 30% shooting and under 60 points, I mean, that's – that's pretty impressive. And as you mentioned, I mean, a lot of people have this idea that we just play fast and shoot a bunch of threes and it's fun basketball to watch, but they've actually do a really good job defensively. I mean, it's not like they're just, you know, trying to get out and, and get as many possessions as possible and shoot a bunch of threes and, and hope you can outscore people. We've seen them have the ability to, to lock down people when they need to, which we can get into more with the Towson thing too. But it's been nice to see them kind of put it all together at the right time leading into to March. 
Last I checked, I think Charleston was number one in the conference in offensive efficiency and number one in defensive efficiency. So that seems like a good a good metric. Yeah. I want to well. switch over to Towson. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, this one lived up to the billing. You know, we we know the history between these two teams. They played on New Year's Eve up in Baltimore. It came down to the wire. For a good portion of this game, I thought Charleston was going to lose. Like, not even going to lie. Uh, <laughs> they go down 10 in the second half. It's their biggest second half deficit of the season. And so much of what we do that's so important to winning, offensive rebounding, bench scoring, three-point shooting, all sucked in, in like for like much of this game. And it felt like the Hofstra or Drexel games at first where it's like, oh, man, we're not getting the boards we normally get. We're not getting bench contributions. I think, like, Robinson and Burnham were like scoreless for a big stretch of the first half. Um, the three pointers weren't going down. It's like, man. And then you have Timberlake, Nicholas Timberlake going nuclear, reminding me of Aaron Estrada in that game. <laughs> and then, and Towson's a, a tough matchup for the Cougs. And we'll get to this when we preview the bracket, but they've got a good big man, which have always given Charleston trouble in, in Charles Thompson. They're good at rebounding. They kind of neutralize that strength for Charleston. And then they've got an all-CAA score in Timberlake, a guy who can drop 30, 35 on you and just totally swing swing the game. Um, so before we get to the comeback itself, I mean, were you as worried as I was at, at that point in the game? Oh, 100%. I mean, I um, I looked over at my wife at one point. I was just like, man, I, this is this is not good because they just extended <laughs> it to like 10 points and Timberlake seemed like he was, you know, starting to go off and was hitting shots and um, you know, one of them was like that bank three. And it felt like even when we, you know, would come down and have a possession and get a bucket or whatever, it just felt like they always had an answer for it. So I, I'm with you when it hit 10 point, 10 point lead and the arena was kind of quiet. It was like, man, this could get, this could get bad quickly. You know, this could, this could, this would not be, be good for us, but credit to obviously our, our team, but our fans too. I mean, there was a point there where we got down nine or 10, and everybody just stood up and started cheering. And next thing you know, you know, CFC kind of started putting it together and turning around, hitting some shots, getting some stops. So that was uh, that was kind of cool to see the crowd really come alive. And I felt like really gave us a home court advantage. Pat Robinson hit a three to trim it from a 10-point deficit to seven. And I thought that was pretty huge. It was like a contested kind of walk-up three from him. Goes down. I think that gave people some confidence and I agree with you once once the shots started falling and Timberlake started cooling off it, the crowd really got into it to the point later in the game where I heard some people saying it was maybe the loudest it's ever been after a certain play but we'll get to that yeah. um what was really impressive to me is that something a lot of fans had been asking for after the Drexel and Hofstra losses which was adjustments I thought Charleston kind of flipped the script and turned into a Towson themselves right like in the second half they go to the free throw line 26 times. They make 22 of them. They only took four three-point attempts in the second half. They were one for four. They outscored Towson 42-28 in the paint for the game. They just, like, stopped being a, you know, run-and-gun three-point shooting team and just w- just played bully ball like, like the Tigers had, which is ironic because I thought early in the game, Towson built that lead almost like Charleston would. Like, they were taking early shot clock threes, yeah. and Timberlake was was hitting shots. Uh, they felt like they are beating us at our own game, and then it was just cool to see Charleston uh, beat Towson at theirs. No, it was. I totally agree. It was nice to see, and I've kind of said this in some other games and talking to people, is we have that ability. Like, it's not like we're just a, you know, oh, if we're hitting threes, then we'll win. If we're not, you never know what will happen. There's been a couple games where we've seen 
these guys have the ability to, hey, maybe maybe it's an okay three, but I can get a pump fake, get to the rim, maybe get fouled. And obviously Pat Robinson and Jan Scott do a great job of that. But I've seen Dalton Bolin really, as, as the season's progressed, make some really great decisions where he could have easily shot the three and maybe made it. It's a contested shot or whatever. But even in this game, he did a great job of not just settling and trying to actually get into the rim and, and play that bully ball. And so I totally agree with you. It was, it was awesome to see the adjustments. And I think that's a key part of winning in March because it, it is really hard to shoot really well in March, especially if you're going to play three straight days. Um, and so you've got to have that ability to, to get into the paint, get easy buckets, get to the free throw line. And, it, and that was the total shift in the game. I mean, Pat Robinson hits a three and it kind of starts this momentum, but then we started attacking the rim and being physical and crowd, you know, then turns. And so that's something that we're going to have to continue to do, but it's been awesome to kind of see that shift from, you know, like you mentioned the Drexel game and kind of that little lull we had when we weren't playing necessarily great basketball. I feel like they they started to shift a little bit in the sense of knowing, hey guys, like we, we still got to drive, we still got to get easy buckets. Like the threes will will come, they'll be there. And um, even in the Stony Brook game, we saw it too. Like guys, you know, are are not just selling for threes, but trying to get into the paint and, and attack these guys. It was it was great to see that adjustment, and, and obviously great to see them come back and win that game. So they chip away, chip away, chip away. I think they finally take the lead uh, some point in the second half. But the play that blows the doors off the place, blows the roof off the six, the Baba dunk that we have been waiting for all season. We know he's capable of this, but so far this year, we didn't have like, you know, like the UNC alley-oop dunk he had, or he had a dunk mm-hmm. against Delaware last year where he cocks it back and like touches his back and, and slams it in. Even in this game, I think he blew an alley-oop, I think he or blew a, another dunk. Ben Burnham, who you mentioned earlier for his defense, gets a really nice steal where he saves the ball and bounds to Rain Smith. Rain kicks it ahead to Baba, slams it down. I heard people say that was the loudest TD Arena's ever been. I don't know if you were in attendance or, or if you can comment on yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, we were luckily right there, front row, behind the courtside seats. And um, it, it I can attest that it's the loudest I think I've ever heard it. Because, you know, in Power 5 games, it gets loud, but we haven't had you know, outside of maybe the UNC game last year, maybe the UNC game, you know, 08 or 09, whatever that was, 2010. It, you know, typically those Power 5 games are not close all the time or it's a 10-point, you know, deficit or whatever. This this was obviously really, really loud, but I think also kind of how the, the setting of it was, was we had just fought back, we're on like a, you know, 18-3 to three run or something, and, he, you know, huge steal, and then he looks like he about hits his head on the rim, and the, the roof just exploded i mean people were going nuts it was awesome um and so that was that was really cool to be in attendance for that and that was really cool to kind of sit back and think like wow this could be you know like the new normal for a really good conference game for the cougars um yeah that environment was just awesome on thursday night it was awesome and the the cbs crew commented on it and thankfully they were in attendance for this one they usually aren't there they usually call it remotely from new york but uh they were there and they were shaken up and and fired up from uh from the atmosphere which was just like a great great national showcase for for what td arena can be like um and we should mention i mean mvp of this game jalen scott is that who yeah. you would go with yeah i think so i mean he he just made unbelievable plays um 
and he was looking to score throughout the game. Yeah, and, and yeah, I mean, it was it was surprising. It's he was trying to to actually score the ball, and uh, I think he had like eight or nine rebounds and a couple steals. Like he just did everything. Um, and he was one of those guys that, that kind of we were talking about earlier about not selling for threes and attacking the rim. He was one of those guys that kind of spearheaded that where other guys weren't really, you know, taking the three. And so he, you know, he found his way into the rim. And I saw one play maybe on like the right ring where I feel like in past games he, you know, kicks it or whatever. And he, and he just put his head down and got straight to the rim and got like an and, an and ones. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was awesome to see because I think you and I have talked about that. I mean, if we have him actively looking to score and, and attacking, it brings a whole other element to our team and our offense. 12 points for him, team high eight rebounds, team high three steals. Yeah, he was everywhere. I mean, it's not often, you know, you look at the guy, the main defender on a dude who drops 34, but Jalen Scott really wore Nicholas Timberlake out by the end of that game, I thought was really frustrating him. Uh, got some deflections on him or forced some turnovers, like forced to travel, forced an out of bounds. Um, and then we needed all 12 points from him. Uh, so I thought, I thought Jalen Scott was awesome in this game. Outside of Nick Timberlake, the rest of the Towson Big Three was not very impressive. So Cam Holden, who got into it with Dalton Bullen a couple times, which I thought was great. Uh, he goes two for 11 from the field, finishes with seven points. He also missed a ton of free throws down the stretch. And then Charles Thompson, who ate Charleston alive in that last matchup. Five points, five fouls. Uh, not much of a factor in this one. He did have nine rebounds, but it was really the Nicholas Timberlake show, and he was not getting any help, especially down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, and... and- he was impressive. I mean, he he played great. He hit some some crazy shots, but um, he really wasn't getting any help. Um, they hit a couple, you know, I think uh, maybe a three in a corner at one point. It was like a big three, and, and I felt like that was the only other big shot I saw somebody other than Timberlake hit. But like you just well, mentioned, Hicks had that running uh, three pointer at the bu- at the halftime buzzer, but he was, yeah, that was kind of it. Yeah, and, and like you mentioned, I mean, I I thought. Jalen Scott did a great job on him, especially late in the second half when we were starting to make our our run and come back. I know you look at it and go, well, he went 11 for 17, had 34 points. Yeah, and he was hitting some crazy shots, and he was kind of on fire. But, man, from like the nine-minute mark in, I mean, Jalen Scott was locked in on him, and he had to earn every look that he got. Um, and so I thought he did a great job defending him late in the game when it when it really mattered and we needed to wear him out and wear him down. So – that was a, a huge part of that game. And, and obviously like you said Jalen being kind of the MVP of that game I mean, he was doing it on both ends and Timberlake was, was really impressive. I mean, he was, you know, chirping to the crowd a little bit and um, hit some wild shots out of a banked three or two. Um, but that was, I mean, that's what conference games are supposed to be like, right? Like an environment like that, two teams that always kind of get physical with each other. I think we played them in overtime a couple of times when I was there the game early in the year was obviously, you know, neck and neck and we had the whole scuffle or whatever it was at the end with the timeout situation. So it's fun to, to not only play in those games, but it's fun as a fan to be able to watch games like that and it to get heated and to have guys kind of chirping at each other a little bit. And obviously to come out on top makes it even better. And like, that's a, a great product to be able to showcase um, on a national televised game. And I feel like sometimes people hate on the CAA for how it's shifted and changed over the years. But I don't know how anybody could watch that game on Thursday night and not be like, this is awesome. And I had a couple of people who don't follow College Charleston that much that watched it and were like, man, that game was awesome. Like, crowd was incredible. It was fast forward. There were great players on both teams. Um, that was just a, a, a great 
great conference game. And that's what you, that's what, what makes college basketball so much fun. I have a question about the Towson uh, physicality for a team that is very chirpy in all their games, not just the Charleston matchups. Why are they always the players who are down on the floor, like face down? Because Timberlake was on the ground after Berzovich shoved him out of the huddle on the last on the last time. It, w- it was Berzovich still standing and Timberlake on the ground after the flop. This one, it's Holden and Bolin get tangled up. And Holden's the one who's face down as Bolin's getting up off the ground. So I don't know how you act like you're the bully. You're the tough guy in this scenario when you're always the one who's like needing to get helped off the floor. I, I think it's kind of the um, the old adage of like the person that throws the second punch gets caught, you know? Like I, I feel like it's – I feel like that's how it is, right? Like you play really physical and you hope that the other team will retaliate. When they do, you kind of flop a little bit and, and don't necessarily show that physicality. Um because like Timberlake's a tough dude. I mean, he was. I mean, he was making great shots, and he's fighting through contact. Is you know, college basketball is what happens. But then he was also working the refs for like every single time he got touched, and you know, especially late in the game, he was really working the refs. I mean, he was really looking for it. And so, like you said, it's kind of funny how they've built their brand on being this tough physical team, and they do play physical. They always have, I and mean, that's just part of the DNA that they've established there. But. It is kind of funny, like you mentioned, where they have this tough physical presence, but then, you know, they get hit or you punch them back and it's like all of a sudden they're on the ground. So it's it's funny. Those are uh, those are the type of games I feel like Dalton Bowen like just lives for, like a game like that where it's going to be like chippy. Oh, he and was physical. loving it. He was, yeah, he was yeah, in his he, element. He was loving that for sure. Well, I'm with you. I, again, this game lived up to the hype. Great comeback, great atmosphere, celebrity showing. Bill Murray was there. And a solid resume builder. Towson is still one of the top teams in the league. I do think we're going to see them again in the CAA tournament. But uh, before we get to that, anything else you had on this one? No, like you said, just a great game and a, a great resume builder. And and that was that was one to me that might have been the most important win of the year. Like it just having that type of a game coming back, the way we fought back at home with a great crowd, I just think bodes really well for the next weekend up in, up in D.C. Right on. So I thought it was interesting after the Stony Brook game in the post game, both Pat Kelsey and Dalton Bolin said something that they've never said before. And I think they just because the season's over at this point, they both said that College of Charleston is a NCAA tournament caliber team and both kind of made their statements on why that's the case, uh, which I really liked because to this point, Pat Kelsey's been kind of oh, we're worried about the next thing and we try to control what we can control. And he was pretty fiery about it. He's like, if you look at that team that just played and you don't think they belong in March Madness, you're crazy. So in honor of that, I think you and I both have thoughts on the NCAA tournament bubble. Uh, I crapped all over Clemson last week when they lost to Louisville. They picked up a win against NC State and I think leapfrogged Charleston in like the first four in, last four out, whatever the hell it is. Here's what annoys me. So since losing two conference games by a combined five points, Charleston's beaten the next seven conference opponents by an average of 24 points. None have been a single possession. I think the lowest margin of victory was this Towson game. It was eight points, multiple 30 plus point victories. And what people dock about Charleston all the time is like, or bracketologists, whoever is like, well, well, how would they do in a major conference? How would they do if they're in the big 12 or the ACC? Would they still dominate that much? No, they wouldn't. But it's like, dude, they don't have to. You're talking, you're talking about West Virginia and some of these teams that have twice as many losses in conference as wins. 
and the committee is still all you have to do is just you just have to have a pulse like you don't even have to you don't even have to come close to dominating you don't even have to be above 500 and bob huggins had a quote recently this weekend where he was like oh we should absolutely be and i don't even know why we're even on the bubble it's like dude you're 5 and 12 like how can you i i don't understand the confidence of being like well we're just we're in this league i don't care that we've lost twice as many games like we should definitely be eligible for the postseason like you and i like you you were meeting with a client this weekend. I work with clients as well. If we lost twice as many clients as we gained at our jobs, would we be eligible for like a raise? Like, it's just, no, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. And and I don't know. I just wanted to start that that vent. No, I agree. It's, it's the most annoying thing in college basketball. Um, and I've seen it my entire life. My brother was on a really good team that probably should have been in that large bid, had some big wins against Power 5 schools. And, you know, got overlooked. And, you know, I think it was like a, an 18 and 16, like, you know, Ole Miss team or something that leapfrogged them. But it's amazing to me when I see the bubble teams and people are like, well, yeah, those teams are better than College of Charleston. I'm like, but are they really? Like, if we played one game on a neutral floor, do we think that they're that much better than us? I mean, Texas Tech, you could argue, if you look through all those resumes on the bubble of – Clemson, West Virginia, Texas Tech, Utah State, Penn State, North Carolina, uh, Clemson. If you look at all those and you, you look at who they've beaten, Texas Tech arguably has the best wins because they've beaten like Baylor, Kansas, and Texas or something in the last. And they've beaten Texas and somebody else. I think it might have been Kansas in the last like two weeks. But then you go look at their their resume and they're they're five and eleven and sixteen and thirteen. Same with West Virginia. And everybody's like, well, the Big Twelve really really good. And I'm like. So we, are we just putting the entire Big 12 in? Like at that point, let's put 14, 15 they would Oklahoma love to. in. You know? <laughs> they would like, love to. I just, I mean, I, I think it's a lot more fun to have a mid-major. And obviously I'm biased because I want College of Charleston to be in. But if if UNCW was having this this special year like we are this year, or let's say Furman, in, you know, in the SoCon, and it came down to this and they made their conference championship game and they were as impressive as we've been down the stretch – I don't see how you watch like UNC or some of these teams play and are like, yep, they deserve to be in. Like I know UNC beat Virginia, but UNC looks horrid. I mean, they, they, they do not look good at all. And to me, Clemson, regardless of the NC state game, they lost to Louisville, which Louisville's just, they lost to South Carolina really bad this year. Like, yeah. I mean, Louisville and South Carolina are both worse losses than Drexel. Yeah. And so like, that's, not and even... that's, that's the point, right? Is like, okay, if you're going to dock us for our loss, right? And that's a bad loss for us. Losing at Drexel, you know, should have won. We get it. It hurts our chances. Why are they not being docked for losses at Louisville and South Carolina? Well, yeah, I said it a couple weeks ago. Like, if Charleston's so bad, where are all their quad three and quad four losses? Like, yeah. Um, well, here's, here's another, like, thing I was thinking about. Put it this way. So, I love Earl Grant. I hope he does well at Boston College. He's trying to build that program back up. He has three wins over top 25 teams this year, which is the most BC's had in forever. They beat Virginia Tech, they beat a ranked Clemson team, and they beat UVA just the other day. Does anybody think BC is better than College Charleston? Of course not. Does anybody think Earl Grant suddenly got so much better at coaching because he went to Boston College? It's like, no, they just they get more bites at the apple. They get more yeah. opportunities being in the ACC to take down big teams. So I think if you do drop Charleston in a big, in a big conference... They're not going winless. Like they would probably go something like four and twelve or five and eleven. 
like just like WVU and, and some of <laughs> yeah. these these other bubble teams do. Um, I think if you dropped Clemson into that game at Towson on New Year's Eve, I think, you know, that game is going to be close. I don't know if Clemson wins that. Yeah. Um, you know, I said that about the UNCW game. I was like, yeah, you drop one of these other bubble teams at UNCW in that environment when they were going as ballistic as they were. And I like that's a solid win for any team. So, yeah, man, it's just it's it's ridiculous. Um, I think hope I, I hear more people than not saying that if Charleston makes it all the way to the CA tournament game finals and, and loses at that point, they'd have 30 wins. And then it's really, really hard to put in a sub 500 big 12 team yeah. over them. I don't think a it 30 will probably win... still happen, but yeah, I don't think a 31 team's ever been left out of the tournament. They have not, but it could, it could happen. Could, yeah. We know. don't want to be the first. I, and the big, I think another big point of contention for me, and, and I've been on Twitter fighting the good fight, um, this week is that these all these people say well yeah these teams are better than cfc like go look at their schedule like they played tougher opponents and if you even in their conference you know if you look at their conference games but then even go to their non-conference these teams don't have any wins that are like better than ours i mean yes they've beaten some like north carolina sure has gotten you know what 10 acc wins or whatever they're at now eight acc wins but in a bad acc in a bad ACC, but like you look at West Virginia and some of these other ones, that's why I brought up Texas Tech is Texas Tech's like the only one that's actually beaten anybody that's like a big quad one win or whatever, where they're like winning their way into the tournament. You look at some of these other ones, like Utah State, I've, I've seen, and Penn State have both been two that I've seen like listed above Charleston. And Penn they State have is like, hilarious. Penn, they have Penn no State, who, Penn State, who got knocked out of the Charleston Classic, which Charleston won. Like, give me a break. Did they lose? Did they lose to Furman or was it Colorado State in that? I forget. I thought. I thought they. I think they lost to Virginia Tech. And I get. I get Virginia Tech and North Carolina didn't end up being as good as we had hoped because I think that even the loss at Carolina and then winning Virginia Tech, I think those would both play better for us if they got better. But I mean, we played a really good schedule, um, you know, to start the season against like what six straight teams that were NCAA teams the year before. And well, I mean that. I mean, obviously, this is the dumbest argument. Is like if Charleston is on the outside looking in after dc i think it's for two reasons a one point road loss to drexel and the teams they played earlier in the season letting them down and that's the most frustrating thing yeah. for me because joe lunardi just moved unc like into the field or onto the bubble or whatever because they got a quad one win okay joe lunardi let me get in my time machine go back in time and change the schedule like why yeah. why is charleston being penalized for these other teams letting them down that's the most frustrating thing for me well and i know that virginia um you know, had their entire body of work has been impressive, right? But if you've watched Virginia over the last they look say, awful. three weeks to a month, they look terrible. Like any, they're any teetering. anybody that's watching them right now is like, oh, they're getting beat first round. Yep. No doubt. Yep. Doesn't matter what seed they are. Um, and that's free money if you're betting on it. Um, and so when you look at something like that, you're like, okay, UNC just got this quad one win. We're boosting them up. They're now in the tournament. It's like, well, is it really a quad one win? And that's kind of where the analytics of stuff get annoying to me at times is because I don't know, like part of me thinks it'd be better just to have it where it's like the eye test instead of all these yeah. analytics that sometimes I don't think tell the entire story. Um, and I saw some coaches uh, complain about it on, on uh, maybe Jeff Goodman's page today talking about how the net is obviously flawed because teams pick up a win and all of a sudden they move like 25 points. And it's like, that should never happen. Especially you know? this late in the season. Like, yeah, and so like, how do you not look at the entire body of work 
And like you said, if we're on the outside looking in, it's going to be because of a one one loss or one point loss at Drexel, and then like you said, the, the teams we played earlier in the year, Davidson didn't end up being as good, Colorado State didn't end up as good, Virginia Tech dropped, North Carolina. So it's like, you know, you want to penalize us for the one point loss at Drexel, okay? But if you look at our body of work, do you really think that we're not like we don't deserve to be in? I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, to me. I obviously know if we were to lose the first round game or even the semifinals, I think it pretty much guarantees that we would miss. Um, yep. But it's just hard for me to look at the regular season and go, okay, we're now starting a completely different season. You know, everybody's zero and zero at this point. How do you not look at College Charleston and go, wow, 20, 28 and three? Like, that's really impressive. They're good. They're, they're stomping teams by 15, 20 points a game in conference down the stretch. And if you just watch the Towson game and then Stony Brook, you're like, this is easily a top 25 team. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that somebody uh, in this committee will stick up for us. Yeah, someone has some, but I do think, some brains to say, hey, this team has yeah. 28 wins, and at the end of the day, that should mean something, and especially because their yeah. schedule wasn't a complete cakewalk. Well, I, I kind of had a, a conversation with somebody the other day where they were like, do you think the, uh, the 2018 team is better than this team? And I was like, well, they're two completely different teams. And they're like, well, is this Charleston team really good or is the CAA bad? And I'm like, I mean, if you've watched us play this year, I would, other than maybe 10 of the top teams in the country, I would not want to play College Charleston because of the style of basketball, you're going to play 10 different people. We've got the ability to get through them, but we can hit a lot of threes. We've got some skilled bigs, some guys that can shoot. I mean, and we've got guys that have a lot of experience. I mean, I, I think you put us in in the uh the bracket and nobody is excited to match up with us no no because the style of the play the style of play uh the seniority of like the age and experience of these guys yeah uh well there is one way to assure yourself getting in the field and that is by winning the ca tournament which starts this week what do you think of the bracket breakdown because i i know my thoughts i have one sticking point but what what are your general thoughts on the the draw that charleston got and you and i kind of talked about this before i think the only thing that kind of stinks is the fact that we are matched up on the side with towson because i think towson's a really good team and they they play a really tough style basketball and they have a guy that is a guy that can go win you championship. Um, and so that's always dangerous and it's tough to beat a team three times um so that's the only sticking point i would say that i have um but you just got to take care of one game at a time and you know we can't forward think saying like oh you know we've got to match up you know and play towson there's always the chance that they blow their you know first game there's always the chance we blow our first game so you've, you've got to take care of the business at hand and and hopefully we're able to 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 turn your broker a and t whoever wins that game and hopefully you know, we've shown we can beat both those teams by 20 points if we have another game like that, get the guys rested, and then, um, you know, we go into the semifinal and take a shot at whoever's playing us. But um, I don't know, maybe maybe Delaware, I don't really have a ton of faith in Northeastern <laughs> yeah. knocking off Delaware. So maybe, maybe Delaware will surprise us and uh, get us a win against Towson. Well, yeah, I think everyone, all the CFC fans I knew were big UNCW fans yesterday against Towson, and UNCW had this game. They had Towson against the ropes, and then they just had to go one for 11 down the stretch and score like two points over the final 10 minutes of the game to, <laughs> to blow this. So Towson moves up to the three seeds. So yeah, I think 
you would you would have loved to see UNCW in that semifinal matchup because of how Charleston beat them last time and obviously swept them for the season. Towson's going to be tough for sure. Um, you said it, so I don't I don't need to repeat it. But in addition to just the matchup problems, last year remember we saw Delaware stumble their way in, but they were the preseason favorites and they got it done in the postseason. I think Towson being the unanimous preseason favorites might finally you know flip a switch and be like, hey. Like, it's our time to, to get this done. Don't worry about whatever happened, whatever, you know, not meeting expectations happened in the regular season. Now is our chance to kind of prove it. They're going to have almost a home court advantage. Baltimore is not too far from D.C. Um, they showed out pretty well last time. But, yeah, I mean, if if you're Charleston, like I had been saying this, you know, no matter how the cards fell, you got to go through two of the top four to win a championship. And we would have loved to have seen UNCW and then Hofstra. But, you know didn't get everything we wanted we see Towson instead and it's gonna be a tough game but hopefully the Cougars pull that one out I think the other good part is you don't have theoretically don't have to match up with Delaware you don't have the you don't have the first round matchup with them which I think fans were worried about because Nelson and Davis those are all CAA guys and maybe you see you know both of them something crazy like they both go off for 25 and then it's like well you just kind of throw your hands up so you don't you don't get that I think the first round matchup for Charleston either Stony Brook or A&T it's probably the best way that could have fallen. You don't want to see Delaware. Yeah. I probably don't want to see Bill Cohen just because of his experience. Yeah. Yeah. Or Elon, Drexel, e- for that matter. I mean, yeah, you don't see Drexel, Elon, and William and Mary are playing a little bit better. But yeah, I think A and T Stony Brook is the best, best possible outcome there. But you don't get the semifinal matchup you wanted. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think um, you know, knock on wood, A and T and Stony Brook, I think are are both teams that we match up really well against. Um, and, you know, I, that that is another thing that could really, if it becomes down to a CFC versus Towson type matchup, you know, one of the things that could help us out a lot is, well, if we get to play into your Stony Brook and potentially have a big win where guys get to rest, maybe we get lucky in Towson, you know, they have the late game, maybe they have to really battle yeah. uh, Delaware and it's back and forth, maybe we get an overtime or something like that. I mean, conference tournaments things get crazy. And, and I'll tell you, man, when you're playing two or three straight games and all that travel and you don't have that home court advantage, your, your legs can get tired real quick. So hopefully, uh, whether it's Northeastern or Delaware, we'll, we'll give Towson a battle and hopefully we take care of business and, and, uh, get to play them a third time and, and punch our ticket to a championship game. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a fun week. I mean, I, I know that the people people wouldn't necessarily say the CAA is the best it's ever been. Obviously, we've had years where it's been better and all that, but it's maybe one of the most interesting years I can remember. I mean, I feel like the top, the top four, teams four and are five all are, are good, pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's a it's a tournament that I'm pretty excited to watch, just in general, not just the CFC game. Yeah, it's not one of those conferences or one of those seasons where one team runs away with it. Um, as much publicity as Charleston got, which was awesome, but. Hofstra is going to be a really tough out, uh, but all, yeah, I think the top four is really, really solid. And the brutal irony is like Charleston's strength of schedule. You have to wonder what it would look like if like the CA just had expanded one year later, right? Like if you yeah. didn't have Hampton, Stony Brook and Monmouth dragging down the strength of schedule, yeah. you know, then yeah. are we, are we feeling better about the bubble conversation then? But that's just the life of a mid-major man. Well, and and also if that doesn't happen, then we obviously get our shot at Hofstra twice, and maybe you're the outright champ, and you know it could have yeah. could have yeah. shook out a little differently. So I'm I'm with you. I mean, it's it's a little bit unfortunate that it kind of expanded when it did, and then those teams just kind of were 
I feel like really, really bad this year. Um, so it is what it is though. And, and now we get to, to move into the postseason and um, see what these guys can do. And, and hopefully we punch our ticket and don't even have to worry about a, a bubble, you know, discussion. Hopefully we punch our ticket and that'll obviously help our seating out as well, which would make us feel a lot more confident about yep. a first round matchup in the tournament. So it'd be, be great just to put it in our own hands and, and not have to let the committee make a decision. That's the dream, man. Yeah. All right, dude, I'm going to let you get back to your Sunday afternoon, but appreciate you rolling through the Holy city hoops podcast. Once again, Anytime, man. Great to be on. Uh, looking forward to hopefully uh, we get to do a, a CAA tournament recap where we're posting, yeah. uh, punching a ticket to the tournament and figuring out where we're buying flights to. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to that, man. All right. See you, Harrison. Thanks, Tommy. Have a good one.